morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to Inside the Writer's Studio, the podcast where we talk with writers about their lives, their craft, their business, and their latest work. I'm your host, Charlie Lovett, and our podcast is sponsored by Bookmarks. Bookmarks is a literary nonprofit whose programs include the largest annual book festival in the Carolinas. Come visit Bookmarks at our community gathering space and nonprofit independent bookstore in downtown Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Inside the Writer's Studio is also proud to be an affiliate of Libro FM, the audiobook platform that supports your local independent bookstore. Stay tuned at the end of the podcast for more information on Libro FM and a special offer. My guest today is Julie Soto, whose novel Forget Me Not was featured at this year's Bookmarks Festival. Julie, welcome to Inside the Writer's Studio. Thank you so much for having me. So as we say in our intro, this, this podcast is really an outgrowth of, of Bookmarks, the literary nonprofit here in Winston-Salem. We know we do year-round events. We have the bookstore, um, but we also host um, this huge book festival that we just had um, in spite of somewhat gloomy weather this past weekend. Uh, and we had a chance to meet and, and talk there a little bit before this podcast. But I'd love to ask you as, a, as an author visiting Winston-Salem, you know, what were your impressions of Bookmarks? How did the festival go for you? Bookmarks was fabulous. I have only been to two organized uh, festivals slash um, conventions uh, as as an author, as a fan, I've been to others. But um, (laughs) but and so it was and both of them have been very well run. But I was just out. I was completely (laughs) losing words. (laughs) I was completely taken aback by how well the festival was organized and in particular the transportation. There's so many different things that the festival organizes for publicity or for connecting to the community or outreach. And there's transportation for the authors to all of it. Um, even just basically walking out of the hotel while it's so rainy on the day of the panels and the sightings and seeing that there's a golf cart that we could take, I was like, Oh, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) That was great for my hair. (laughs) Yeah, it was not, it was probably not a great hair day for a lot of people, but we were, (laughs) um, I mean, we were so pleased that, that so many people were able to to turn out for the festival. It didn't feel like the weather really dampened things at all. I mean, it did literally, but not, uh, not figuratively. Yeah. I didn't think uh, I didn't think the turnout was affected much at all. Uh, I think they had that great event on Friday evening for Books and Bites. Uh, I believe it was the first yeah. first of its kind, and uh, I hope they keep doing it because it was a great chance for people to kind of get in in an air conditioned indoor space and to uh, chat with their favorite authors. Yeah, that was the first time we've done that, and I think. From all I've heard, uh, it was a huge hit. I was behind somebody going into the one of the venues uh, on Saturday. And this Books and Bites event was Friday night where you had a chance to meet authors and get your book signed. And the people in front of me in line said, oh, that was the best money I've ever spent was my ticket for Books and Bites. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So, you know, both of us uh, are theater enthusiasts. We've both been <laughs> actors and singers. We've both been playwrights. Um, tell us a little bit about your your personal history in the theater and sort of how you went from, from that to writing romance novels. Yeah. Uh, well, it's not linear, that's for sure. But 
Uh, I started doing theater when I was six or seven years old um, and just local community theater, but it was actually a very well-established company in Sacramento. And uh, I was doing theater up until college. I was, um, I went to Cal State Fullerton in Southern California for a musical theater and uh, was Basically, I, I transferred out of that school after a couple of years and went back home to Sacramento and finished with a BA in theater and a minor in creative writing. And I did not think at the time that the minor in creative writing was going to be for creative writing and theater, but uh, it was just something I'd been interested in and I wanted more, you know, I guess I didn't even have plans to be writing novels back then. It was just something I wanted more training in uh, back then. So uh, about 10, a little over 10 years ago, I started working on a, a musical with a set of friends. Uh, and it's basically, I was running a children's theater company in Sacramento um, with a friend of mine and we were, you know, using our 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 kids to stage stage this new musical. So we we worked on it for about eight years, and we took it through the festival circuits. It went through the uh, L.A. Fringe, the New York Fringe, and then the New York Musical Festival, and it won top place at the New York Musical Festival, and I got an award for best book. Um, so it was, it was great. It was, it, you know, I, I didn't have a ton of ideas for musicals. It wasn't something that I was like, and then the next musical we write together will be this. Um, but I was just very focused on creating that at that one time. And then with the pandemic, um, around 2020, that was when, you know, we had some, we had some options for what to do with the musical next, but um, 2020 kind of wiped all of that clean in a way. Uh, so really I was, I started writing fan fiction back in 2017, which is uh, if you don't know what fan fiction is, it is online writing for a fandom, like taking an existing property like star Wars, like game of Thrones. And um writing in that sandbox, kind of creating your own stories, or, you know, if a character references a scene that took place off page, you maybe want to write that scene and see how that would have unfolded. So it's all a, it's a free community type of writing in a way, you don't get paid from it at all. And so I was writing fan fiction starting in 2017. So by the time 2020 rolled around, I had gotten a pretty big following there. Um, and I had gotten probably 700,000 words under my belt yeah. for, <laughs> for writing for fandom in, I would, I would call it novel format, but it's very Dickens like where it was published periodically chapter by chapter. Um, so basically when the pandemic started, the, the easiest thing to do was sit alone in your room with one task. Yep. So I started kind of shifting my focus to what could I do with novel writing? 
and um, started working on um, books that I could query to agents. And that's kind of that's kind of my my progress. I feel like the transition from theater to uh, novel writing really just started as a hobby with the fan fiction. Um, and by way of the pandemic, novel writing fiction is collaborative at a certain point, but not in the beginning. Whereas I think theater in the beginning, it's, you can write the play alone in your room, but you, the next step is getting it on its feet. And there's that, that step isn't there in fiction writing. And I think it was a, a an easier way of figuring out how to move forward in the pandemic. So let's have a let's have a little lesson here because you were on the you were on the romance panel with Abby Jimenez and Dominique Lynn, which by the way was a standing room only panel. I think it was about as packed as I've ever seen that room. It was just great. Um, it was amazing. Yeah. So what makes a book a romance as opposed to there happen to be two people in this book who end up together at the end of the book? Yeah, um, I think there are two elements. What I've what I've heard uh, officially in the community, uh, one is that it has to have a happy ending, a happily ever after, where the characters are um, together, and secondly, it has to the main plot of the story revolves around the love story. So you always, you know, there's always generally a secondary plot of you know career or family or something that influences the love story plot line but the the main objective of telling the book is watching the people fall in love i think that's the that's the those are the two qualifiers and that's how you know some people say in some ways a lot of nicholas sparks books don't count as romances under those uh under those circumstances and certain other um books that have a more heavy influence on plot the the exterior plot and it's the romance is the side the side story wouldn't necessarily qualify as a romance but i think it's a very broad genre um but in terms of when people are looking for something specific in the same way that they look for mysteries and thrillers specifically that there's a specific thing they want they're going for those two qualifiers that it has a happily ever after. And then it's about falling in love. And I think most of us know that, that generally, I mean, we're, I'm generalizing here, but typically a romance involves two people meeting, falling in love, breaking up and then getting back together. That's a, that's a sort of yeah. standard um, format. And as you say, that that love story is at the, is at the forefront. Now I found when I was writing plays for children, you know, I also had I had to write within very specific parameters. I was writing for a specific number of children, a specific gender breakdown. I want all the kids to have this basically the same size part. The play couldn't, you know, was supposed to be yeah. a certain length. And what I discovered was working for me, working within a preordained structure actually sort of liberated me creatively. And I'm curious yeah. to know if you find that same thing in working with with romance where there's certain things that are expected. If it actually, do you find it limits you or it sort of opens you up? I I want to make one comment on theater since we're both theater people. Sure. Um, my uh, my director mentor uh, who was mentoring me while I was trying to study directing, uh, he used to tell this story that he had 
he was doing a production of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, which has six characters. And he asked the set design to only give him five blocks so that he could never fall back on. And all six of them stand on their blocks, you know, like, (laughs) and I just thought that was such a great way to push yourself out of the structure. Like there is a structure, but, but you, you have, you find your own workaround of it. You, you take away an element or you put an element in that will force you to do better work. Um, But to, to that point, the, um, what you're talking about with romance, I find it's very freeing because you, when you know that it's going to end in a happily ever after, for some reason, the readers still do want to read and make sure that it will become a happily ever after that you didn't lie to them. And, and I think that's beautiful that there's still, you know, if you know the ending of a thriller, rarely, unless the storytelling or the narrative device is specific, (laughs) rarely do you care to keep going if it gets, you know, quote unquote, spoiled for you. But in romance, you're spoiled from the minute you walk into that section of the bookstore. Um, And so I think that's, that's very freeing in a way, because then you're looking at how to use the different variables of the plot in completely different ways. Like you're not trying to one up your last book and say they're going to fall in love harder. It's (laughs) they're just it's it's just uh, it's how do these two people with these two sets of problems and backstories. I kind of think romance is very character driven, more character driven than other genres specifically for that. Yeah, I think the word how is really key here, that it becomes more about how does it happen rather than what is going to happen. And yeah. I, I'm reminded of a book from years ago by a guy named Howard Norman, the bird artist, which is mm. a murder mystery, but he states in the first paragraph who got killed, who killed him, and and so you know yeah. who's done it, but the whole question is why and how, you know, and that, yeah. that becomes the driving question behind the book. Yeah. Um, I, I always learn so much when I attend these romance panels, like the one you were here at at bookmarks um and you know most of us if we are novelists even if we're not aware of it even if we're not writing in a particular genre we're still using these sort of tried and true storytelling structures and techniques and and tropes we may not think about it but but we are um but romance novelists not only think about it they talk about it and they have names for yeah. all these tropes, which I think is so cool. And you go in there and you hear them talking about only one bed and the knight in shining armor. And you're, my brain is like trying to figure out exactly what they mean. Tell us a little bit about, about this idea of tropes and maybe what a, what a couple of your favorite ones are in the, in the romance world. Yeah. Tropes, I think, get, get so broadened. That idea is so broad nowadays. And because it's, there it's almost like there should be a trope tree where there's a branch of this and here's how it branches off into different sections of that. Um, And I feel like a lot of tropes in romance, at least start with like, is it an opposites attract book? And that is a super broad, people don't even use that as a trope because underneath it, you have grumpy and sunshine, which means that there's one character who is scowly and wears black and the other character is bubbly. Um, 
And then there's enemies to lovers, which is also something that's used so broadly when, you know, most of the time, maybe they're rivals to lovers or they just get off on the wrong foot. But in general, it creates that narrative tension that we know as enemies to lovers. And, um, and then there's also things like childhood best friends um, that perhaps has some kind of like a second chance romance thing to it where they were together when they were teenagers and then they come back together um, later in life. So I think, I think, I think it's because romance is so structured that we find those tropes and we name them in the way that like, well, if I already know it's going to have a happy ending, here's the type of thing I want to find in this book. So some of my favorite tropes, I love all um, enemies to lovers and everything that encompasses, even if it's just uh, opposites attract. Um, it's generally just that pride and prejudice beginning is uh, <laughs> is what I look for. Um, and I love, um, there's also specific tropes that aren't, don't even cover the entire book. It just covers like a chapter of the book. And it's almost like a little spoiler that you can, or a, or a teaser you can give the audience, like the idea that they're going to, they need to go to a hotel for one night for some reason, maybe they're stranded, maybe they have a conference together. And when they check in, They've lost the second room reservation and now it's, oh, but, and we're all sold out tonight. We just have this one room with one bed. And it's, <laughs> so that's the only one bed trope is that they're going to find themselves needing to share a bed. And, and even if, even if nothing happens in that bed, even if like he's a gentleman and takes the floor or takes the armchair, like just the idea that they've they have to discuss how to move forward with only one bed is, is an attractive thing to a lot of readers. Um, so I like only one bed. I think it's funny when it's done, um, when it's done differently in different ways, there's a book called pride and protest by Nikki Payne, where, uh, I think that they're snowed into a, uh, like a like a office um a very fancy office building and they have some of those like sleep pods that like people can like take naps in during the day i, I don't know very very fancy office building and they're snowed into it and like the joke is like only one off only one sleep pod you know <laughs> and like these two people have to share a sleep pod um yeah. and it's like it's a variation of a very common trope but it's done hilariously and so I think that's the thing with tropes is that when it comes with the romance structure, you want to find the different ways of bleeding to that happy ending. Yeah. And, and also I think it comes into marketing too. At, you know, at the end of the day, you want to be able to tell your readers what tropes are in your book, even if you didn't write with that intention. Yeah. And I think about, I mean, I think about my own novels and some of them have a romantic element and some of them don't. Um, but I, I very much like the, the enemies to lovers or specifically, I mean, I think about in, in the lost book of the grail, you know, you have these two characters who she's all about technology and scanning books and digital, this and digital, that, and he wants a card catalog and old manuscripts. And I like the idea of two characters who on the surface of it, you just would never see them together because yeah. that makes 
for a challenging and interesting story as opposed to two characters who, oh, well, obviously they were going to end up together. They're perfect for each other. You know, where's the fun? Yeah. Right? You know. Yeah. The narrative tension, I think, is so much. I personally don't read a lot of Friends to Lovers um, because I, I just think it's more tense and delicious when they either start with a misunderstanding or, like you said, there's some intrinsic thing they cannot agree upon and you watch them evolve either as humans or in their opinions yeah so tell us a little bit about your new novel forget me not yeah so forget me not is a second chance romance (laughs) one of the tropes is second chance romance uh it is about a young up-and-coming wedding planner named amma who gets the opportunity to work on the wedding of her career. It's a celebrity wedding. It'll be covered by one of the TLC shows. It's, it'll be it'll be huge for her kind of fledgling wedding business. Uh, the only catch is that the couple has already decided on their florist, and it's the man whose heart she broke two years ago. So between the two of them, they have to uh, pretend that they never dated, pretend that, of course, we always work together. We haven't ignored each other for two years in this professional industry. Um, and so it has grumpy sunshine, like I mentioned before, second chance romance, and it's a little bit of enemies to lovers because they um, didn't get off on the right foot when they first met. Uh, so, yeah, that's Forget Me Not. <laughs> and and now you mentioned when we talked at Books and Bites that there's a is there a Jane Austen connection in this novel? There is. It is basically, yeah, it's a persuasion retelling. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely my tied for first place of my favorite Jane Austen books between Pride and Prejudice and Persuasion. Um, and it's very if you know persuasion very well, the I haven't even talked about it a lot, but like a lot of the pieces are very thinly coated <laughs> with the, you know, like the Musgroves are in there <laughs> that that you may not notice unless you look for it as a persuasion adaptation. Yeah. I have to say my dad taught Jane Austen for 40 years and persuasion yeah. was his favorite novel. Yeah. Um, and, and of course I wrote First Impressions, which is a book of, partly about Jane Austen, about the writing of of Pride and Prejudice. So I think there, there's just, yeah. there's such a deep mind there, isn't there, with, yeah. with Austin's works? Yeah. I wouldn't say that, I mean, between her and Shakespeare, I think they started all of the tropes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't, you can't hit a trope. You can't, you can't throw a dart at a trope without hitting uh, Shakespeare or Jane Austen. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. yeah. Now, when you were here for Bookmarks, one of the things you did was we have an Authors in Schools program um, and you didn't go into an elementary school. You actually went to a university seminar on romance and Jane Austen. Um, so tell yes. us about that experience. What was it like to bring your experience as as both a Jane Austen lover and a writer of modern romances into a, a college seminar setting? I loved that. I was I I went with Dominic Lim, who is another uh, author who was I was sharing the panels with, uh, author of All the Right Notes, uh, and. I wanted the syllabus for that class. I wanted the, (laughs) I'm like, what books are you reading? Tell me what you're discussing because it was just fascinating to me. And what I loved was that there were uh, 20, maybe 25 uh, college students in there. And they, I was told when I got there that they actually are all working on creative writing projects as well. So it wasn't, simply just a seminar and studying, but also in 
learning about writing romance. Um, and so that was fabulous to be able to talk about the industry too. Um, so in terms of, we didn't talk too much about Jane Austen, um, which I was terribly upset about, but, uh, but it was nice to, to, you know, talk to young students, young readers and, about you know what kind of questions they have going into things and um, and what it's been like for Dominic and I in the industry so far. We both had our debuts this year, so um, we're it's very fresh in our heads. Um, but I could just tell that they were voracious romance readers, and like some of them had read my fan fiction too. Right. So it was fun. It was fun to like connect with with them on that. Um, but yeah, that was such a unique opportunity. I loved being able to go in and steal part of their Friday. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that was so great that 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 I mean, it just seems like the perfect class for you to show up for. Um, yeah. Now, so as you said, Amma is a wedding planner. Now, I'm not going to call myself an expert on wedding planning, but I have a daughter who's been a professional wedding planner for at least a decade or so. So I probably know more about wedding planning than your average 61 year old man, you know, and I've certainly heard some yeah. stories. Um, so other than attending weddings, how did how did you f- discover that world? Because I got to say, I mean, even just that first couple chapters where she's running the wedding. I mean, I saw Jordan all over that. It's like I've heard her talk about those exact that sort of problem solving on the fly and everything. Yeah, I think a lot of that specifically came from theater Hmm. and the and, you know, I used to stage manage. I used to run the light board. I used to call the show in a lot of different types of theater from professional down to community theater. So for me, my theater background was really imperative in that type of thing. Um, and also I rewatched The Wedding Planner with J Lo. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought it was so great. If you rewatch it, the very first scene, it shows her comedically solving a crisis. Yeah. Like she, there's a specific, it's if it's been forever, I understand. But like she's in a church trying to get to the front row. Uh, going along the sides and in between pillars of the church, she has to walk slowly. So people don't see she's running, but every time she hits a pillar, you see her speed up, speed up, speed up. (laughs) And then she slows down and she, you know, and it was just so comedic, but she's a good wedding planner. You know, you show in chapter one or for the movie in scene one, she's a good wedding planner. Um, And so for me, I, I did a ton of research, but truly I I had a friend who had worked in the wedding industry in a similar position to what Emma used to do before she started her own company and uh and had similar experiences to what Emma went through. And so I I asked her a lot of questions, I ran a lot of ideas by her. Um I needed in the beginning I needed like ideas of like how often she and Elliot, the love interest, were going to be running into each other. You know, like when you connect over the floral design, what when's the next time you see them? And, you know, and when she was like, not, not very soon, I was like, great, what kind of problems arise? You know, and it was just <laughs> great to like, to spitball, like she's a writer herself. So I was able to be like, how could I force them together sooner? And, you know, and, and it was, it was really helpful. I also 
spoke to a friend of mine who runs uh, an, a, uh, an event venue in Sacramento. And uh, she Sacramento is where the book takes place. So she was able to kind of further answer some questions that are like very Sacramento based. And, um, you know, there's a, at a point without giving spoilers, Emma is creating a reception venue from scratch. And I was kind of, I was asking my friend who's an event coordinator um, at her venue, you know, what, this is what I'm thinking for what she's doing. And she was like, wow, if that actually existed in Sacramento, I would be put out of business. You know? <laughs> and I was like, oh, good. Then this, like, this, this sounds desirable to people in the wedding industry. Um, and I know I got things wrong. I know that things are, you know, I was liberal in certain areas, but, um, but I've heard from wedding planners and people in the industry who say it, it felt like it reflected their experience. And that's, that's all I, I care about. Yeah. I think what you say about theater is so true. Our, our daughter was a theater major in college. And I think if you, especially when you're running day of that's, that's yeah. stage manager, it's the same exact job. You know? Yeah. I've had theater productions where we're, we're rehearsing a number that we haven't, we've never run, you know, like we're getting choreography uh, half an hour before the curtain. Um, oh, and, and, you know, it's just like, yes, yeah, certain, just really terrible. So as an actor, that's awful. And then later in life, um, set pieces breaking day of and trying to put them back together, like while the audience is coming into this, into the theater. Yeah. yeah I've, I've worked at a theater where we were literally painting the set while the audience was filing in and we had to tell the actors, okay, don't lean against that wall in the first act. Cause it's still going to be wet. You know? It's still wet. Yeah. <laughs> so Emma says, right up front in the first chapter that she's not interested in marriage for herself, even though she's yeah. a wedding planner, she doesn't really believe in the success of long-term relationships. Um, why is she like that? And, and what does it do to her character that she, she always sees the wedding, but never sees the marriage? Yeah. I think that's, that's the core of it too, is why she can still be such a good wedding planner is that it's the marriage isn't her job, the party, you know, she's, She's an event coordinator, truly. She could she could properly run an anniversary party or a birthday party because she um is, you know, is truly an event coordinator. She's not a marriage coordinator. Uh so Amma's mother has been married 16 times when we meet Amma. And I wanted that number specifically because I wanted it on the right side of comedic. Like 11 for some reason was not comedic enough for me like that. That's actually, I could probably meet someone who's been married 11 times. There are probably some celebrities who are getting closer to that number. So 16 was comedic to me while also being, while also I think you can start to envision what kind of person that is um, for good or for bad. And uh, and I think Emma was raised in a household where marriage was not ma marriage was um, at least love was idealized for sure. She her her mother fell in love a lot, and she chose to um, put that love towards marriage. And so Emma started to see that well, once she got married, she fell out of love. So why would anyone? why would anyone 
sign a piece of paper that basically guarantees you're going to fall out of love one day. Um, so she's, and Emma's young. She's, um, I think 26, uh, 25, 26 when the story starts in the present. So she, she's still, she's still learning, uh, things about relationships and herself, I think. Uh, and so it was a really interesting dynamic to play with when it's happening more and more often in romances where the, the woman is more so the, I don't want long-term commitment. And the man is the the one who is like, we must get married. I want to marry you. <laughs> it's a it's kind of the role reversal of when Harry met Sally, uh, which is inspired my friend Kate Goldbeck's book, You Again, which is exactly that. The woman is the is the Billy Crystal saying, like, men and women can't be friends. <laughs> and uh, and you know, the the man is the Sally who's like, Don't you want long-term commitment? Um and so that was a really great thing to play with also with her being a wedding planner. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that you begin with her five rules of wedding planning and I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, okay, th- these are going to have to come. There's going to come back somehow, especially the one about <laughs> don't be alone with a groomsman. Like that's, that's gotta be something there. Um, yeah. What, what, how do, how do you decide how to begin a book? I mean, you're not gonna, they're not going to meet in the first sentence. So you've got to, You've got to yeah. establish character. How do you decide the best way to, to start? I would say, I mean, I think a lot of people do it a lot of different ways. I I was initially nervous not bringing in um, Elliot into chapter one because a lot of times chapter one is the meet cute um, in romance. And, you know, you, you jump start the story essentially, but I... I wanted to see Emma in her element first. Like I said, you know, you see JLo and she's a competent wedding planner. Um, but uh, I think, you know, it's like in, in my second book, we meet the love interest in chapter one. Um, it, it, I think it varies. It's kind of a, I guess it's almost like case by case, because if you can find a way for them to meet each other and also be, serving the overall plot, which for me was Emma is a wedding planner. She wants to be a a more highly respected, highly paid wedding planner. Um, Then, then I think people do that more often, but um, I'd say that it's really case by case. And like, I think the first page we all know as authors, the first page has to hook people. And sometimes, sometimes you have it. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes it takes till page five. Um, I'm rereading drafts of things that are going to go out soon. And I'm just like, I need to fix the first 10 pages for sure. But specifically page one has got to do better. (laughs) Uh, and I think it's, it's case by case like that. I always tell young authors, I mean, it's a cynical thing to say, but, but it's true that the, the primary purpose of page one is to get readers to read page two, you know? Yeah. Um, and you, and you think if you think in those terms and you know, you do have to, you do have to work hard on that first page. So yeah. I have to say, I mean, I've held this back for this whole conversation because I, you know, because I didn't want to put my favorite thing right up front, but how can you not love a book that has the line donuts are my love language? I mean, that was just like, um, and there's a <laughs> lot, 
there's a lot of funny stuff in this book. There's stuff in this book where my wife is like, what are you laughing at over there in the corner? Um, can you, you know, you mentioned a, a little bit about with how many times the mom had been married about sort of trying to get to that comedic edge. Can you talk about incorporating humor into the story, into character in, in ways that keep it organic to the text rather than just, oh, we're going to stop and have a joke here? Yeah, I think, I think there's all, there's different types of humor uh, in books and also in people. You know, I've, I've, I, I can think of three people in my life off the top of my head that could win a wit battle with Shakespeare himself, like who are just so quick and so educated without being arrogant. And they're just so much quicker than anyone else at turning phrases. Um, and I feel like with humor in books, you, the slaps, there's not a slapstick element that there can be in um, visual mediums like theater and TV and film where, you know, physical comedy has to be described. And I think, I think for me, at least, sometimes it just comes down to, is your POV character a funny person? And like a lot of the times, sometimes they're not. Um, there's a lot of quirky characters in romance um, because it helps with people's um, voice coming out and, and being able to like comment on things. But um, I would say for me, it was helpful for me that Emma was always going to be a she's a funny person she's quick and she surrounds herself by with quick people um and she also gets embarrassed in the same way that other people get embarrassed so living through mortification with her becomes funny um yeah i would say forget me not is definitely one of the funnier things that i've written i'm already wondering if book two is even funny at all <laughs> but uh but it definitely uh thank you for that i'm very glad that her uh love of donuts and uh the the comedy through it all uh came out yeah absolutely and i think you know what you say about physical comedy is so true you know some, somebody somebody slips and falls down on on stage or in the film and that can be hilarious and you write about it and it's just a person fell down and got hurt there's nothing funny about it you know yeah and so it does make it a, a, it sort of limits you in some ways um but then as you said you can have this sort of verbal sparring and um yeah Emma has this tendency to become emotionally involved with her clients and she says um that that always gets her into trouble when she blurs that line. Um, yeah. but I think it's a, I think it's a very human dynamic. I mean, I've known it in my own life, the difficulty of separating what ought to be a business relationship from what feels more like a personal relationship because you're working with someone that, that you happen to like. Um, and especially when your business relationship is orchestrating, you know, the most emotional day of somebody's life. Yeah. So that might happen. Can you talk a little bit about that dynamic? Um, in, for her and and how how it works or doesn't work in her life. Yeah, I think I think there are some people that are just so endearing immediately upon meeting them in life, you know, in real life, not in fiction. They 
you you immediate it was that a uh, Jennifer Lawrence effect right after Hunger Games when you started seeing her in interviews you were like oh my god I want to be her best friend <laughs> um and uh now it's kind of taken over with like the Taylor Swift effect too of just like wanting wanting to be close to that person and I feel like there are people in real life not just celebrities who you hear them talk for 30 seconds and that's I I want to know that person I want to be better with them and I think Emma falls into that category, but the problem is, is that she was mentored by a person who is extremely removed and looks at it as a business and is completely successful with that kind of model. So Emma, for the first five years of her training um, as a wedding planner, was fighting her inner instincts of wanting to get to know the bride better and finding out like, well, why, why are we using the color gray in June? What's special to you about gray? And in, in like trying to actually get to know them better so that she can design their wedding better and be a better coordinator for them too. Um, And, but she has someone who's been, her mentor who has been wildly successful doing the exact opposite. So I think, I think it's about Emma finding her own line in the sand of what's appropriate, what's inappropriate and being able to walk that on her own. Um, And of course what happened with uh, falling in love with Elliot uh, two years ago when they had their previous relationship, it only reinforced her fears about it all. Like I got too close to someone in my work life and, and it ended horribly. Um, and I think, so she has, she has a lot of walls and barriers put up about that. Now I, I can't help but noticing. So this podcast, we're talking here on the 29th of September, this is going to go up on the 1st of October, this wedding that she's working on is next week, right? It's the 7th of yeah. October. October 7th. I'm actually going to a wedding that day. I'm just fabulous. So, yeah. So my question is, have <laughs> you ever look at a wedding, go to a wedding with the same eyes that you had before you wrote this book? <laughs> I am so I am going into my first wedding post Is that true? First wedding post writing, definitely post the book coming out, but I think post and I'm, if any one of my friends who has invited me to their wedding that I attended in the past 18 months, I'm very <laughs> sorry. Um, uh, first wedding I'm attending at the end of October um, since writing the book. So I will let you know, because that's kind of <laughs> like, that's such a specific, that question really resonates with me because I remember the first time I took a lighting design class in theater it was only a, you know, as a one semester class and it changed my entire view of how I attend theater. And, you know, you see poorly designed, poorly lighting designed shows, possibly just because they don't have a lighting designer, they don't have equipment. Um, they're a lower budget type of theater company or high school. And I, and I would just go and I would be so upset. Like my body would be itching because, because there's no light on the stage or there's too much light on the stage or the light is so hot on this one ensemble member that has nothing to do with the plot and and you know and and being able to direct the eye learning learning what you're supposed to do in lighting design 
and then going to see theater for the rest of your life and not being able to turn it off. It was such an eye-opening experience for me. And even now, like when I walk into rooms, um, I like, I know where the light's coming for just a normal rooms, non-theaters. Like I'll, if there's a fluorescent that's blinking, so like in the, in the book, books and bites room, some of the fluorescents were blinking and I was like, Oh God, <laughs> someone fixed the fluorescents. Um, so I, I'm really interested to see if it'll be the same type of way with, uh, with weddings, weddings and, uh, how, how they, how I view them and what's, uh, you know, what's different about different weddings and yeah. how they, how they structure. Cause not all weddings have to be structured in the same way. Well, we like to end every episode of Inside the Writer's Studio with the same 10 questions. You should be able to answer each of them in just a couple of words, but hopefully they'll give us some insight into you and into your writing. Okay. What word do you love to work into your writing? The one thing that comes to mind is I like to use non-verbs as verbs, like to steeple his fingers. Uh, you know, things like that. So that's that's one of the ones that I feel like pops up yeah. often in my writing, steepled his fingers. What word do you hate to encounter in other people's writing? Uh, now, since I'm a romance writer, <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit crass, but male genitalia uh, in the in the uh, medical terminology is uh, is not quite as appreciated. <laughs> Where's your favorite place to write? Either uh, in coffee shops and specifically Black Fox Coffee Shop on Pine Street in New York. <laughs> <laughs> Where could you never write? Outdoors. <laughs> to what rule of grammar do you pay least attention? Uh, fragments and specifically... I have like stage directions in my writing sometimes, like a sound to her left, like a tinkling bell. And you <laughs> and there's no verb. <laughs> What's the first book you remember reading? Uh, it's probably a Dr. Seuss, but the first thing I have a memory of reading and rereading was Ella Enchanted. What are you reading now? I am reading uh, I'm reading Good Girl Bad Blood by Holly Jackson. It's the sequel to A Good Girl's Guide to Murder and uh, Regina Black's The Art of Scandal. What book would you like to have written? Uh, I'm very jealous of Station Eleven. Oh, yeah. I love it so much. What yeah. sort of book would you like to write, but probably never will? Fantasy. And finally, what would you like to hear a reader tell you? Um, I love when readers who've read my fan fiction come up and mention, tell me that they've known me from fan fiction. That's my favorite thing. This has been Inside the Writer's Studio. I'm your host, Charlie Lovett, and my guest today has been Julie Soto, whose novel Forget Me Not is available wherever books are sold. Julie, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Inside the Writer's Studio is sponsored by Bookmarks, a literary nonprofit that runs the largest annual book festival in the Carolinas and operates a community gathering place and nonprofit independent bookstore in downtown Winston-Salem, North Carolina. 
To find out more about Bookmarks and all its programs, visit www.bookmarksnc.org. Inside the Writer's Studio is proud to be affiliated with Libro FM. Unlike other audiobook platforms, Libro FM supports your local independent bookstore. Whether you buy a single book or, like me, a monthly subscription, you can link your account to your local store or to Bookmarks to support literary community. For a special two-for-one offer, go to Libro.fm and use the discount code WRITERS. If you've enjoyed Inside the Writer's Studio, please consider leaving a rating or review online at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside the Writer's Studio posts new episodes on the 1st and 15th of every month. On our next episode, I'll be talking with another author from this year's Bookmarks Festival of Books and Authors. Until then, thanks for joining us, and may you read with wonder and write with passion. (music) 